Welcome to Wanda's Picks, a black arts and cultural program of the African Sisters Media Network. And that was Zion Trinity singing opening prayer for the African deity, Eshu Legba, a deity that lets us know that we always have choices. We are never victims. And we are continuing our conversation um, with uh, Oromo advocates um, and freedom fighters, um, women, all of them. Uh, t- this morning, continuing a conversation that we had, we started, mm, gosh, about three weeks to four weeks ago, and uh, and that that conversation has to do with um, democracy uh, that's in peril. And uh, let me just read you a little bit um, from the Aroma Advocacy um, Alliance about the current crisis in Ethiopia. Uh, it's a fact sheet that was compiled in July 2020. From 2014 to 2018, uh, the youth of Ethiopia, led by Romo uh, Kiru, uh, meaning youth, participated in a nonviolent protest movement for democracy and against land confiscation, demanding management of their land, cultural, organizational, and language rights, as well as political and economic opportunity. In 2018, these peaceful youth-led protests brought about the first nonviolent leadership change in Ethiopia's history, ushering in a prime minister, uh, Abi Ahmed, who committed to transition the country to democracy. Taking office, Prime Minister uh, Abi Ahmed promised to meet the demands of the youth and to hold free and fair elections. Initially, Abi impressed the world with rapid, dramatic, and news-grabbing public acts, including the release of political prisoners, the return of banned parties, assigning women to hold government office, and reproachment with Eritrea. Unfortunately, Abi moved away from these commitments starting in 2019, putting Ethiopia's transition to democracy in peril. On June 29, 2020, famed musician and activist um, Hachalu, Hachalu uh, Hundessa, who inspired the youth movement, was killed in Addis uh, Ababa. During his life, he used his platform to uplift Oromo culture, expose governmental excess, and shed light on the structural inequ- 
inequality faced by the Oromo and other people. His music galvanized the youth and beautifully articulated the demands embraced by the hashtag Oromo protests. There was an Oromo protest this past week in Oakland. We're going to talk about that too. His death sent shockwaves throughout the Oromia region and Oromo communities around the globe. So we're going to be talking about um, how the government handled the grieving population, um, uh, which was provocative and violent. We're also going to talk about some areas of concern around media blackouts, government disinformation campaigns, the state of emergency uh, around COVID-19 and the elections, uh, the prosperity party uh, countering multinational federalism, and then we're going to also give everyone a call to action uh, around the immediate release of prominent opposition leaders, journalists, and protesters, including three U.S. citizens, the call to U.S. government to support genuine and political dialogue, uh, the prioritizing of the demands of the youth movement and our guests are members of that movement, a call for committee hearings on the conditions of, in Ethiopia, and also call for an impartial investigation. So we have um, some really wonderful guests joining us, and I'm going to struggle through their names, <laughs> and I hope they forgive me. <laughs> Good morning. Good morning, Wanda. Thank you for having us. <laughs> oh, you're Good welcome. Morning. So let me... Good morning. So, who's in the studio? And then I'll um, I'll read your bios. <laughs> Good morning. My name is Howie Itana. Okay, Howie. And, Good. And <laughs> I'm Mara Katilla. Okay. All right. Great. Great to meet you. Uh, um. Oh, that's how you say it. Okay. I thought it was three syllables. I thought it was um Maratu. Okay. <laughs> All righty. And, um, oh, there's another guest. Uh, ah, sorry. Um, I had not unmuted you. And, and uh, our third guest? Sorry, this is Howie. My call actually dropped. So oh, okay. Me and Mara, <laughs> no way. Alrighty, no problem. Yeah, because last week we had two people on the same, on the speakerphone, which worked out fine as well. All righty. So let's start with, um, Howie, and uh, you are a public health professional in the Baltimore metropolitan area, so thank you so much for joining us, coming, calling us from the East Coast, and uh, and your professional career centers around the social determinant, determinants of health and health care access for the underprivileged communities. Um, you're also you also have a passion for maternal and child health, especially as related to Black maternal health here in the United States and abroad in um, Aromia. Um, you are a board member of Kello Media, an Aromo Media company created and managed by young Aromo men and women in the diaspora, and you're also a member of the Aromo Advocacy Alliance (OAA). And yeah. uh, yeah, and I'm going to let you do a an opening statement after I introduce um um and I guess I don't it's not three is it so it's not three syllables um <laughs> it's yeah it's it Mar2 Mar2 Mar yeah. oh so the runs into it okay Mar2 yeah, you are Mar2 or you can like call a, me Maro that's fine <laughs> Maro oh <laughs> Maro2 okay um 
Maratu. Yeah, Maro, like M-A-R-O. Yeah. Oh, Maratu. Okay. Uh, is a speech therapist, no, excuse me, is a speech pathologist based in the, on the East Coast and specializing, you specialize in the assessment and treatment of speech and swallowing disorders. Um, Maratu um, is actively involved in clinical research related to swallowing diagnosis diagnostics, and you hope to bring these services to uh, Aromia in the future. Um, you are an hashtag Aromo protest campaigner, diaspora advocate and activist for the Aromo people, and a member of the Aromo Advocacy Alliance. And uh, and you've got a few things that you're going to say uh, as your opening statement. So um, either one of you all can start um, with your opening statements, if you like. Yes, Wanda, thank you again for having us here today for a very important discussion. We really do appreciate your time. Um, I think I'll just start off with a a lay of the land, a bit of context as to uh, the history of Oromos and where we are today and why we're here. Um, Mm -hmm. So the, the oppression and disenfranchisement of Oromos is something that is deeply embedded into the framework of Ethiopia today. Successive regimes in Ethiopia have implemented both um, de facto and de jure policies that uh, really sought to separate the indigenous Oromo from their native land, suppress their culture and language, and essentially assimilate future generations to whatever the status quo was. Um, Ethiopia was built on a one culture, one language, and a one religion ideology. And governments of Ethiopia have constantly tried to fit the Oromo and oppress them into that very constraining uh, circle. So I say all that to say um, prior to this Oromo protest movement that's happening right now, this is actually the second wave of the Oromo protest movement, um, there were already longstanding grievances amongst the Oromo that were never addressed by any Ethiopian or Abyssinian government. Mm. Great. So, um, were we listening to um, Hawi or? Um, yes, that was Hawi, yes. Mm-hmm. Okay, yeah. I was like, it sounds like the journalist. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Well, thank you. That was that was quite succinct and, and very, um, very clear. Thank you so much. Um, so, Maratu, um, um, what do you want to add to that? Yeah, um, I think that was a, a great summary, Howie. Thank you. Um, and again, thank you, Wanda, for having us today and, and for your, your previous um, episodes in solidarity with Oromo protests. We really appreciate that. Um, so just also to add, um, Oromo protests is a grassroots movement. Um, it's a global movement, a transnational movement. It started... Um, several years ago, most notably in 2014, although some would say even before that, um, by the Kero and Kare, which means Oromo youth um, mm-hmm. of Oromia, in an effort to end systemic violence towards Oromo people and other marginalized communities of Ethiopia. Um, and, you know, this movement has been rebooted um, as of, you know, about six weeks ago. Um, or, you know, even a little before that, um, 
And the Cairo and Curry are once more campaigning to end Abby's government um, and to fight for land rights and the rights to self-determination for the Oromo people. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. So so tell us about sort of what's happening, um, uh, I guess, um, in the diaspora uh, to support um, you know this democracy and 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 what do you want to happen first? Uh, but maybe you could tell us some of the names of the um, American citizens that are currently um, uh, imprisoned, and um, and then maybe you could tell us sort of what's been going on, you know, in in the uh, uh, the organization that you're both both a part of, the Aromo Advocacy Alliance, and um, yeah, so I know there was a protest last week and I believe it was I think all the protests are both national and global, right? I mean it seems like they're in solidarity with one another. Mhm. Yes, for sure. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so currently there are three US Oromo US citizens that are um unlawfully detained in Ethiopia. Two of them are residents of Washington State. Um, Redwan Aman and Yusuf Bashir, and also uh, a Minnesota resident, Misha Jiri. Mm-hmm. And also to add on to that, there's also a Kenyan citizen and a German citizen who are detained as well. Um, from mm-hmm. Germany, there is Dr. Shugut Gavata, and from Kenya, we have Yasin Juma. Yasin Juma is actually a journalist from Kenya. And he has yet to be released. Um, Dr. Shibut Galata is also, he's a German citizen, and he's a member of the Oromo Liberation Front, which is an opposition group um, in Ethiopia. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and um, as as far as the Kenyan journalist, Yasin, he was supposed to be uh, released on bail, actually. He was ordered by the court to be released on bail just very recently, and people were kind of initially celebrating that. But, and this is not uncommon in Ethiopia, um, they refused to comply with that court order. And so that's part of what we're seeing is that a lot of, you know, in addition to the fact that a lot of these political prisoners, you know, these are foreign citizens, but they're just, a few out of, at this point, you know, likely over 10,000 um, just in the past about six weeks um, that, you know, a lot of them are detained with no probable cause. They're not even charged with crimes um, at the time of their arrest. And then, you know, the, you know, maybe they are, you know, have court proceedings and the court orders them to be released on bail or what have you. But, um, the the actual forces that are in charge of this, whether it's the police or the you know security forces, are not actually complying with those court orders, and so there's absolutely no due process at all. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So were um, were both of you were either of you raised um, uh, in Ethiopia, or were you both born and raised here? Um, don't you talk a little bit about you know, what it means to be, you know, Oromo women and uh, now in the diaspora, but I was wondering sort of if you could talk about, you know, um, identity and, you know, being, mm-hmm. you know, African women in the diaspora 
and and then also being political like have you always been political like sort of how did you come into this and and what is for yourselves personally like what are some of your like okay this needs to happen like now and then this and then that like sort of what what draws you to this because you know you don't have to be um concerned because you're you know you're not there and i know a lot of people sometimes when they're in america sort of lose contact with their indigenous roots but neither one of you and you know people that i've been speaking to and it seems like there are a whole lot of folks that are very connected to the land and to the people of of their of their birth so sometimes you talk about and also as you speak if you could um Mm -hmm. Say your names too, so that our audience can know who's speaking. Okay, <laughs> sorry about that. Yeah, I can start oh, off. No um, this is this is how we um, both Murrow and I were actually born and raised in the D.C. metropolitan area. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think our experience growing up in the diaspora is unique in that we all we always had a very strong connection to our culture and our people and our land. I actually. Um, the first time I ever went to Oromia, I was 26 years old, <laughs> but I was still so very much connected to my family there and my culture and the customs um, of the country. And I will say um, a lot of it comes from from our parents and the way in which they raised us. Um, I know growing up, we were involved in the Oromo community of Washington, D.C. Um, there were events and programs for us to really get familiar with our Oromo culture, our Oromo heritage, and our and Oromo history. Um, a lot of the time, Ethiopian history completely, completely disregards Oromo history. So there is a, a separate learning that has to be, <laughs> that has to be had. Um, also, we grew up going to Oromo church, which I think for both of us helped to reinforce our understanding and of of the language, particularly um, the uh, and understanding of language. <laughs> um, also, we were involved in youth groups that were specifically related for uh, related to Oromo youth. We were able to connect with uh, the various Oromo youth across the country. There's also a yearly Oromo soccer tournament that happens in different states across the cities. So we have so many opportunities to connect with our people and connect to our culture, um, which I think is a a unique experience inside of the diaspora. I always say, like, when I first went to Oromia when I was 26, it felt familiar. I didn't feel completely out of place because the energy and the culture wasn't new to me, was familiar to me. Um, and I say all that to now say this, that um, in a way, and I know Merle can back me up, it was a bit of a traumatizing experience growing up in D.C. as a proud Oromo as well. Um, <laughs> both Merle and I have uh, Oromo names, very distinct Oromo names. So, so we can't really hide from our culture. And not that we would. We are very proud of who we are and the way in which we are raised. But we grow up. But we grew up in a very um, in an environment that was very hostile towards Oromo identity, proud Oromo identity, and this all goes back to that one religion, one culture, one language um, <laughs> theology that I was talking about earlier. That's propagated by 
Ethiopian Abyssinian governments. Um, so while, yes, we did have this very reaffirming, gratifying experience growing up that really reaffirmed who we were as Oromos, there was also a conflicting experience in which we were, in a way, disregarded and demeaned for who we were. And I think that really, that really relates to what's happening in Oromia right now. The youth are standing up because they truly believe that as Oromos, they, de they deserve to have a voice. And their voice shouldn't be ignored just because of who they are and because they are proud of who they are. And so I'll leave it on that, Merle, if you wanted to follow up. Yeah, thanks, Howie. Um, this, uh, this is Mara, too, speaking. Um, I wholeheartedly agree with um, what Howie said. I mean, it was interesting, Wanda. I think you asked um, something along the lines of, you know, how did we end up being so active in our community? And, you know, this may not in actuality be the case, but the way I see it, it wasn't really that there was a choice. It was kind of inevitable. Um, I mean, Howie's right that we really grew up um, surrounded by the Oromo community, and I'm so thankful for that. Um, when I <laughs> went to school, uh, when I like preschool, when I was you know three years old, I didn't really speak English, <laughs> so I was I mostly only spoke Afan Oromo. So, um, you know, we definitely had a lot of exposure there, but I think um, just knowing what we know about what our people have been through, but also how much we love and care about our culture and our people. And we truly just want um, things to be better and we want a better future for, for our people. Um, I mean, I think that this is probably true of, you know, Africans in general and the African diaspora, but um, our people have been through so much. And I think that the identity behind that becomes so much more important and so much stronger because of the fact that we have faced so much adversity and so much oppression, if that makes sense. Um, but, you know, it's, how we was saying, you know, how we have such obviously Oromo names. And it's it's so funny that that's even something that would be not an issue, but something that would cause us to, you know, adjust our, you know, it would adjust how we are perceived in the United States by other, you know, Africans or East Africans, or in this case, Ethiopians, um, because, you know, Growing up, my mom and my mom and all of her siblings actually have Amharic first name, but their last name, uh, which is my grandfather's name, is Oromo. And she grew up going to school in Oromia, um, but she would get relentlessly bullied and teased for having an Oromo name. Um, that's not an anomaly. This is the norm for many people of our parents' generation, depending on what part of Oromia they grew up in, but it's extremely prevalent. Um, and even growing up in America, if an Ethiopian came up to me and started speaking to me in Amharic, and I would say, you know, I don't speak Amharic, I would get one of two reactions. Most of the time it was, 
anger at the fact that I didn't speak Amharic and that person telling me, you know, how shameful it is that I don't speak Amharic because it's, you know, my language supposedly when in reality it's not. Um, you know, my culture is Oromo, my language is Afan Oromo. Um, Amharic may be the imposed, you know, working language of the federal government, but it's not the language of all peoples. And um, I'm not even from Ethiopia to begin with. I'm born in the diaspora. So, and then once, and so that's kind of like that pattern of gaslighting that we constantly were experiencing, even in America, <laughs> just simply because of the fact that I say I speak Afan Oromo and I don't speak Amharic. Um, and so I think that really ties into that whole, you know, assimilationist intention of um, a lot of Ethiopians. And so most of the time it was that kind of anger response. And then once in a while it would be like a surprise as if, um, you know, the Oromo nation is the largest um, people group within Ethiopia. And yet people would genuinely be shocked that, you know, my parents in the diaspora would even bother to teach me a fine Oromo. And so that's the kind of sentiment that we constantly um, were being faced with. And so I think in that sense, when you're faced with that, you kind of have a couple of different ways you can go about it. Either you can really lean into it and um, claim your identity fiercely and be very proud of it, or you, you know, can give in to the shame that they want you to feel and assimilate to, to their standards and their culture that they're trying to impose on you. And so I guess I say all that to say that for me, it's kind of inevitable. And, and Wanda, yeah. um, if I can just chime in here, this is Howie. Um, I want to piggyback of what Maro just said. The Oromo are the largest indigenous population in Ethiopia, but Oromos are much more expansive than just the geographical confines of Ethiopia. Oromos are found in several countries across the Horn of Africa. We are the largest group in the Horn of Africa, and our language is also the most spoken language in the Horn of Africa. So what we mm. see happening in, in Ethiopia with this anti-Oromo rhetoric ideology is really the, the erasure and the minimization of indigenous people, and to some extent is also anti-Black, anti-indigenous. I think if we compound those two things together, um, I really do think that it's applicable and relevant to what is happening and what has been happening in Ethiopia and or Abyssinia. And also, just to answer your question of, about why we care, why we get involved, um, I say this all the time, there's not many things in this world that I love more than being Oromo. That is how connected we are to, to our culture, to our people, to our struggle. Um, also, being that we're young, we're millennials, and that our generation is connected more than it's ever been in the history of the world, uh, we understand how democracy should work. Um, and we can also call out the ways in which oppressive systems work against us. So now that we have these two things, I guess, functioning within us, um, we see that our, 
Oromo brothers and sisters back home, we see that they are calling out for what they deserve. They're not asking for anything more than what anybody else is asking for. They're asking for their rights to be respected, and they're asking for an opportunity to be involved in the democratic process. They're asking for a say. And so I think because their, their wants and their desires and their demands are so genuine and so in line with what everybody else in the world would want for themselves, I think that's why we push so hard for Oromos, for our brothers and sisters. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Ah, so circling back, um, I uh, last, last time, last week, we spoke a little bit about, um, you know, the women who are, um, impacted by, you know, the uh, the protests and the women who are political prisoners and prisoners of war, and um, didn't really get a chance to talk a lot about these women, and so I wanted to be wanted you to be able to um, lift up some of the names of the women um, who you know you are uh, working to to have released, and and then I was also you know wondering if you could maybe sort of tie in the politics of gender, and um, and and the whole notion of you know here in this country, um, there've been a lot of the movement for Black Lives is um, uh, is one of the things that has philosophically sort of taken root in in this nation. Um, people who had never really thought about Black Lives having you know validity or value are now taken to the streets you know during a pandemic. Um, to to lift up the names of of people that, who have been killed by you know police excessive police force something that's been going on anyway but now I guess people are are being more reflective you know with uh, what happened to um, <clears throat> to George Floyd and um, Breonna Taylor and Ahmed Aubrey and others you know since then and before then but you know sort of more immediately so long as you could talk about that. Sure. Um, I think the first question that you had raised is about women, women Mm -hmm. in this movement. So, um, yes, what we're seeing with this current movement and with Abiy Ahmed's administration is that there is a complete disregard for the lives of Oroma women. And also, in some senses, he is directly attacking or targeting Oromo women. Um, I think um, in the last episode about this topic, you had spoken on Chalku Takkada. Her case was especially alarming because she was a breastfeeding mother who was only allowed to feed her daughter once a day. I mean, in my eyes, that is cruel and unusual punishment to, first of all, to put her through that, all to herself, through that trauma of being in prison for absolutely no reason, but to also harm the child who has done nothing. Um, And already, just to, like, set the foundation, maternal and child health outcomes in Ethiopia are absolutely abysmal, just um, as a level set. Even without um, a political crisis, they're absolutely abysmal, simply because the government does not fund enough resources to health and um, the maintenance of health of women. Uh, They simply, in my eyes, don't care. This is a field that I particularly work in in my professional career. Mm -hmm. So um, I can tell you the maternal and child health outcomes, women's health outcomes in Ethiopia are abysmal at baseline. 
But what we're seeing here with Abi's crackdown on dissidents is that he is really going and targeting and attacking women. Um, there's also another journalist in jail. Her name is Bethlehem Tafese. Uh, she's also arrested without any reason, arbitrarily arrested, and she's also a mother. Mm. Um, also, in the western part of the country, we see security forces kidnapping young girls as young as 15 years old. Um, kidnapping them and and we haven't heard of these we haven't heard about these girls whereabouts in in I want to say over a month and a half so they're kidnapping women they're attacking women they're targeting women but what we're seeing from from the citizens or from the um, from the populace is that the women are still going out there and they're still protesting they're still demanding their rights. Even in the face of all of this um, uncertainty, harm, violence, they're still going out there and they're still raising their voices because they understand that if they don't, it will continue. The violence, the subjugation, the oppression will continue. So despite all the, um, despite whatever possible fear they might, there may be, they're still out there, they're still advocating for themselves. Um, and I believe you asked another question about black lives and um, the need to still go protest. Well, there's a connection between the uh, Black Lives Movement here and and since you are, you know, um, a Romo American, um, you know, citizens here and and the Black Lives Matter movement is a youth-led movement as well here in this country um, and. And there's overlap, you know, you're American and you're Romo. So um, just thinking about some of the um, the principles of the Black Lives Matter movement and and this, you know, the movement um, for um, for the dissenting voices, um, you know, in in the diaspora in uh, in Ethiopia, you know, that this is not a democracy. So Similarly, I mean, there's 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 some uh, definitely overlapping values, and I was just thinking, you know, because you are in here, how that sort of invigorates or fuels your activism. Yeah, I mean, I think that um, I mean all of the events over the past few months, um, both here um, with regards to what's you know, continuing to happen to Black lives in America and also what's going on back home in, in Oromia and in Ethiopia, um, it really um, takes a toll. And I do think that there is a lot of overlap in the sentiments. Um, I mean, I do have to acknowledge that obviously these movements have um, different origins and different um, histories tied to them. But at the core, um, you know, Black Lives Matter um, is, you know, standing against state-sanctioned violence and standing against anti-black sentiments and racism. And that's, you know, very similar to some of what Oromo protest is about as well. Um, Oromos are um, standing against state-sanctioned violence as well. Um, and, you know, and against uh, anti-Oromo sentiments in Ethiopia. And um, unfortunately, we also 
on that note, see a lot of the same attacks against Oromo people in Ethiopia and against the Oromo protest movement that um, myself as a black person in America also um, hear and see constantly um, against the Black Lives Matter movement as well. Um, and that also ties into, you know, what we were, what we kind of brought up earlier about the fact that there is this massive misinformation campaign um, and a lot of fallacious narratives that we are experiencing. And it's, it's really interesting to see like the overlap between some of those counter arguments and counter narratives um, against Oromo protests and how much that resonates, you know, from seeing the, the counter narrative against Black Lives Matter in America as well. Um, and I think what's important to note is that these counter arguments and counter narratives are just that. They're not um, organic movements. They are specifically seeing a group of people that have been historically marginalized and oppressed fighting for not dominance, but equality. And there are certain people that are extremely threatened by that. And I think that's really dangerous because then you have people who believe that they're justified um, arguing against equality and democracy. Um, and that's extremely prevalent in terms of what's going on in uh, Ethiopia right now. Yeah, mm -hmm. and, and just to add on that, I mean, the Oromo protest movement, the struggle of the Oromos is the struggle of all oppressed people. We just want our voices to be heard and respected. Um, so I think that that's why there's an overlap. As, a, as an Oromo, as a black person, as a woman, <laughs> we have so many marginalized identities, and there's even more for our Muslim sisters. Um, so we understand how not speaking out and how being silent literally is detrimental to our lives because we have all these identities. We live with all these identities. We're required to live in a world that wasn't built to respect us or built to advance us. So that is why we speak out. We really don't have a choice. If we want a better future for ourselves and the generations after us, we have to speak up. We have to get involved in the struggle. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I was just thinking, um, and I'm still kind of confused on how to say your name, um, um, Marotu? Marotu, yes. Hi. Um, tell me again how to say it. Marotu. Marotu. Okay. Okay. Um, well, hopefully you can you can bear with my <laughs> my pronunciation. But I was just thinking about the uh, the philosophical and um, and sort of metaphorical kind of. Uh, sort of thinking around, um, you know, that might come, was coming to my mind, you know, as I, I think about what we're talking about and in your career and in your scholarship, you know, and your practice as, you know, you're around speech pathology and, and, uh, and swallowing. And I just think, wow, you know, because what happens in our bodies reflects what's happening in our world and in our spirit and in our our minds, right? 
and and for you to be a specialist in helping people articulate what they're thinking and what they're feeling and what um I just think that's wow that's really fascinating and then the whole idea of you know, how it's really hard to swallow things that are uh sort of antithetical to your your survival like you're swallowing poison right if you're you know in in a, in an environment where you are made <clears throat> illegal you know your thoughts and your your culture and and everything that's true to you doesn't exist and i'm thinking of of black people people of african descent in the western world and then i'm thinking of you know your ancestors and your families in you know what is now called ethiopia the horn of africa I was wondering um if if you ever sort of unpack that <laughs> that is a a really interesting um question i to be honest i've never thought about it that way but it's it's a, i mean it's true it's a really good analogy and um you know it kind of makes you wonder because i think in these situations where you know we're so focused on what is happening on the ground and the the day-to-day events and you know what can we do but i think that we don't really um always take the time or have the time to what is going on internally and what this is doing to us. But we were actually recently having a conversation with an Oromo mental health professional who was giving a talk on um, intergenerational trauma. And while that's not necessarily directly related to uh, speech pathology or speech and swallowing it, it really um, put into perspective how much, um, you know, whether it's, you know, the black struggle here in America or the Oromo struggle um, back home, it really um, takes a toll on us and affects us not just in our lifetime, but even in subsequent generations. Um, And she was telling us about how, you know, that can that kind of trauma can be so pervasive that it lasts, you know, maybe even three generations. And so it, it, you know, it can be in smaller ways, big ways. It can be from hearing about, you know, your, your parents. I mean, so many of our own parents were political prisoners, were in jail, Um, not because obviously they did anything, but because they were seen as, um, dissenting or tied to dissent. Um, my mom was in jail when she was in middle school. Um, so because, you know, they thought that her her dad, you know, something about my grandfather, her dad. So just, you know, we internalize so much. And you're right, it is hard to swallow. And I think that, I mean, you just, you're getting me kind of like into this analogy, but so when a lot of people, when they have trouble swallowing, sometimes things kind of get stuck, you know, things can get stuck in your throat and, and not go down all the way. Um, and I'm thinking like, that's really relevant to this whole like intergenerational trauma thing, because if we're not taking the time to process these things and really fully swallow and digest them, they are kind of getting stuck. And that's, I think, um, we, we do have to recognize that this has effects as well. 
Mhm. Yes, yes, certainly, certainly. And I'm I'm glad you brought up the um the uh intergenerational historic trauma because you get it you know, on a lot of levels, um, you know, just being a person of African descent in this world, you know, in the world, and I mean Western world, um, is traumatic <laughs> because the narrative is not one that we created. And then you think about sort of how things are compounded um, by, uh, you know, other structures that are, are that are influenced by, by this particular um way of seeing things because the West is most powerful and everyone, you know, all governments, you know, seem to, you know, um, to bow in the face of that. And if they don't bow, they are annihilated. Um, or at least that's that's the intention. But we see, you know, small governments standing up. You know, I'm thinking Cuba right at the moment. But, you know, there, there are some others um, that refuse to be, um, you know, called into submission. But it's Difficult. I think about um, President um, Ahmed Sekou um, Toure, who tried to stand, you know, in the face of of Western um, uh, imperialism, and and you saw what happened. I mean, it's completely, you know, economically annihilated. You know, think about the same thing with Takara in um, Burkina Faso, right? <laughs> um, you know, again, and we think about um, um, Lumumba. In, in Congo again, you know, trying to resist this this Western domination and economically and politically annihilated, and and even you know in in, in more recent, um, um, I guess uh, we look at uh, success stories. We think about South Africa, right? And that's not really a success story when we think about what's happening to the people, right? You know, as far as that rich nation and there's still poverty, like why is that? So um, so I'm sure, you know, as what's happening in the horn is not disconnected from what's happening <laughs> um, in other places, you know, within the African diaspora, both on the land and away from the land because we are everywhere, Literally. Yeah, definitely. Yes, I agree. I, um, yeah, what you were saying kind of made me think also, I mean, so at the core of our movement, the Oromo protest movement, is a desire for democracy. And, I mean, as Oromos, we have an ancient democratic system, the Gada system, so you know, the concept of democracy is not at all new to the Oromo people. Unfortunately, there has never been any semblance of democracy in Ethiopia. And, um, you know, the Oromo protest movement, which in 2018 led to, um, you know, some change that, you know, is the reason that Prime Minister Abi is even in power now, you know, so that movement brought about um, a change and allowed for supposedly um, the ushering in of uh, a transition to democracy. That was what we thought. That's what, you know, people expected to happen. And Abi was not elected. He was, um, you know, appointed to fill that role to transition Ethiopia to democracy. Unfortunately, that obviously never happened. And really what we're seeing now is that Abi and his 
supporters are trying to return us to an imperial Ethiopia, to, you know, Abyssinia. And it's, you know, thinking about like those um, comparing, you know, what's going on uh, there and here. Um, I mean, their, their slogan could unofficially be make Ethiopia great again or make Abyssinia great again. And just like the MAGA people here in America, the, you know, you know, that kind of sentiment of the make Abyssinia great again uh, in Ethiopia, the, the hatred that those people have for other groups, including Oromos and, and other marginalized groups that are fighting for their rights to self-determination, the, their constitutional rights to self-determination. Um, they do this and they hide their hatred um, under the guise of extreme patriotism. And that is something that we, we see a lot of here in the United States, too. Um, there are a lot of people, um, white supremacists, who are xenophobic, and they hide their xenophobia and their hatred for others who, you know, marginalized groups that they have marginalized who are now fighting for equality. They hide their hatred for those people under the guise of you know, American patriotism. And it's really disturbing, um, that kind of narrative. Um, I mean, like, if, you know, in terms of analogies, it's like if you kind of imagine an America with white supremacists and MAGA at the helm, but with absolutely no checks and balances, no history mm -hmm. or track record of any actual democracy, like free and fair elections. I mean, I think the only thing holding things even remotely together here, if you can even call it that, is that there is, you know, a whole system of checks and balances and, you know, that history of democracy or at least like some <laughs> appearance of democracy, right? Um, but if you want to put it into an extremely simplified analogy, that's kind of like what is happening in Ethiopia. It's just that there is no, no one checking anything that's going on and you actually have a situation where, the, you know, the prime minister can actually just indefinitely suspend elections and, you know, completely change the, the structure of, of the country because there there is no history of democracy there. Um, hmm. Does that make sense? Um, and so, yeah. Wanda, actually, mm -hmm. oh, go ahead. I'm sorry. Oh, I, I think, um, I think Sina, um, uh, your colleague, um, your friend, um, uh, Jim Gimo has just joined us, um, but go ahead. Um, I'm going to let her into the studio. I think that's her. I don't know. Let me see. Good morning. It is you. Good morning. Sorry, I'm so late. Oh, awesome, awesome. Hi, okay, super. Glad, glad to have you join us. Glad, glad you could fit it in your schedule. Um, so um, go ahead with your comment, and then, okay. and then I'll introduce um, Seema. Mm -hmm. Okay, no worries. Um, actually, Wanda, you had made a comment. This is how we. You had made a comment about um, how economic, I guess, prosperity in South Africa wasn't shared amongst the populace, wasn't shared amongst the people, and that actually made me think back to the 2014, uh, 2018 Ormo protest movement. So, at the genesis of the 2014 Ormo protest movement, um, Ethiopia, which was headed by the 
Ethiopian People's Revolutionary Democratic Front and or the Tigrayan People's Liberation Front was experiencing an economic boom. But this economic boom came at the expense of many Oromo farmers who were living in and around the cities of Finfinne, or, which is also known as Addis Ababa. So the government was forcefully taking away land from these farmers in order to expand the capital city limits. The land was either being sold to foreign developers or was being used to build condominiums on. So these farmers were not compensated at all for their land, uh, compensated basically pennies, or some were forced to actually be security guards at the condominiums that were built Mm. on their land. So the government basically forced these farmers and their families into destitution, all in the name of so-called development. Um, and I think it's important to, to note that this economic development that the government was lauding and applauding was only experienced by the top 1%. So it wasn't getting down to the people in the same way that, that you mentioned at South Africa, and I'm sure it happened in many other countries. Um, it was never getting down to the people. Um, Mm -hmm. So on top of the illegal land grab, there was also rampant economic disenfranchisement of the Oromo, which is is ridiculous because Oromo, again, account for approximately 34% of the population. So it's just thinking back to how there's so many layers to oppression. There's so many layers to disenfranchisement. And really the Oromo protest movement and several other movements of oppressed people is kind of like to break these systems so that we can prosper and actually function in, in a society where everybody is included and respected. Yeah, um, uh, Howie, that, that's a really, really great um, sort of analysis. And then I was just thinking um, as you were speaking, and, and we'll come back around because I definitely want um, seeing a <clears throat> Sina to be able to to um, be able to uh, chime in because uh, she brings a, a really powerful you know um, I guess connection to to the discussion and 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 she's gonna go places we haven't been um, namely um, House Resolution 128 and other things so that's awesome um, but I was thinking about um, oh gosh what was I thinking. <laughs> um, <laughs> Oh, I I should have wrote it down. Oh no, I I remember. I was thinking about elections, and and we have another parallel universe happening here. You know, around elections here, besides make Ethiopia great again. <laughs> uh, you know, we've got this election that's coming up in November here, right? And 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 the U.S. Postal Service, you know, the increase in in uh in costs and and the deterioration in quality of delivery. It's taking a long time to get our mail now. I mean, a very, very, very long time. When it's just, you know, across the city, it's taking weeks. Um, some of my friends that I sent a letter out to them about three weeks ago still have not received it. And that was one thing we used to be able to count on, the postal service, right? Um, so I was just thinking yeah. about that as, as you, you know, you were speaking about elections and what's happening in Ethiopia around the uh, election, you know, being suspended. And I think about, you know, Emperor Number Forty Five, right? Um, so anyway, <laughs> we we can come, we can circle back to that, and definitely um, want to make sure that we have time as well to. Um, we're not running out of time at all to to talk about 
sort of next steps and what what you want our audience to do and where they can find out more information. But um, Sina is an Aroma American born and raised in Ethiopia. And from a very young age, she felt grieved over the injustices she saw perpetuated against Aromo, particularly against Aromo women. Uh, Wanting to help, she studied political science as an undergraduate in public health and public administration as a graduate student. So one thing that you all have in, in common, and all of all of my guests so far, that you all are very well educated, um, you know, in uh, in 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 your fields, and 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 but you know, it's sort of like you know, your your public uh, people as well, you know, as far as you're using your education, you know, to help help people. Uh, while at the University of Illinois. Um, you were a graduate student, uh, senator at large, and treasurer for the African Student Organization. Um, Asina, uh, you are a recipient of many awards, including Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. Scholarship, uh, Metheny M. Young Fellowship, and key player. You are key player for the House Resolution 128, which I hope you will tell us about, that enabled change in Ethiopia in 2017. And I think there's some legislation that's happening right now. I don't know if it's right. actually passed, but but you can talk about that as well. Throughout your career, Sina, you founded and represented numerous student and non-student organizations, and you work as an environmental health specialist, too, and you're the co-founder and executive director of Aromo Legacy Leadership and Advocacy Association, O-L-L-A-A. Is it OLA? Yes. Is that how you say it? Okay. Formerly known as Coalition of Aromo Advocates, for human rights and democracy. So welcome, uh, and Sina. And yeah, please tell us about um, the House Resolution 128 and the other legislation that's being that's pending. Something around not funding um, uh, the government, uh, current government in Ethiopia. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, first and foremost, thank you so much, Rwanda, for having me. And hello, everybody again. I don't know where to begin to tell you because there's so much going on, but um, the, the resolution is uh, just FYI. I've met the current prime minister about uh, four times. I had a chance to sit down and speak to him. He's someone that um, is a very charismatic guy, someone that uh, he had uh, promises uh, he made that he obviously not willing or not interested to keep that. And he's a man that was not elected by the people and came to power on the back of uh, Romo movement and our movement because we campaigned here in diaspora. We worked eight hours like everybody else, and uh, we worked another additional eight hours to bring change to Ethiopia from 2015 to 2018. And um, he came into power simply to do one thing, and that thing is to have free and fair election. That is the promises he made to the international community. He's going to transition the country from this autocratic system or undemocratic to, into democracy. That is the only thing he promises that he promised, and that is the only thing he, well, among many things that he's not going to do, obviously, and it's, it's clear, not just to the Romans, but it's quite clear from the international community I don't know if you follow up with the news. I work closely work with uh, lots of members of Congress, including some State Department and uh, in Europe, a uh, bunch of you know members of uh, European Parliament, Canadian government. So all of this have really did have an impact over the last uh, I don't know a month and a half, two months. Did change a lot about his stance, his um, his views, uh, world view about him. 
those uh, early days of reform, uh, the change, the rapid change you brought the first four or five months, but that have all evaporated now. Now what we see is a country in a brink of uh, civil war, to be honest with you, is this uh, the gun and uh, and the uh, military is keeping everybody at home. That's what's keeping it together. The moment that's lift up, we will have a different situation on top of that. The Ethiopian constitution makes zero leeway for to sustain power past the five years without something outside of the constitution, which is the Political discussion is the only thing that can extend his time, but that's going to come to an end in October 10th, at the end of October 10th, that he is not legitimate. So he's, he, the current Ethiopian prime minister uh, uh, like uh, issue goes so far, not to mention that he is he was part of, or he is part of the original old system that we pushed again as we fought for it and brought change. He met with the, you know, I traveled to Ethiopia with the member of Congress, you know, from California with Karen Best and uh, uh, Chairman Smith at the time, 2018, soon after he's elected. And uh, so, the, you know, the resolution is, it was co-sponsored by 114 representatives all across the U.S. And uh, it's very popular. It, it has for good governance and respect for human rights, the basic thing that I feel like we as a human should be given and should enjoy. It has for that. He came on the back of that, and he part, he came on the promises to deliver those things, but he obviously, unfortunately, have turned around in the, the opposite of what he promised. Mm. Mm-hmm. Right, yeah. And Wanda, so, I'm sorry um, to interrupt. Oh, yeah. I oh, have yeah. to okay. actually get off the call. I have a work meeting right now, but, again, thank you so much <laughs> for having me. I truly appreciated this, and I hope you continue to have these conversations. Oh well, thank you, thank you so much for joining us. And, and um, just to make sure that we're 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 remembering your your voice, tell us your name again. Yes, this is Howie Tana. I'm sorry, I should have said that oh. in the first place. <laughs> oh, no, oh no problem, Howie. We'll have a good meeting, and and thank mm-hmm. you so much um, for um for, you know for your um, participation in this this conversation, which was really enlightening. I really appreciate it. Alrighty, thank you. You're welcome. So I was wondering um, if if maybe you all could, um, uh, if you had, um, uh, since you just joined us, um, Sina, um, you know, you definitely, um, you didn't get a chance to, I mean, that might have been your opening remarks, but maybe not. <laughs> uh, because <laughs> of, of our three guests, you, you are the only one um, today that was actually born, you know, um, there. And um, and then you you just mentioned if I if I heard you correctly that that you went back with um, with a contingent of of American um, <clears throat> uh, legislators to um, to Ethiopia um, you know to I guess to meet the current um, prime minister um, I don't know if he was in office yet who promised all these things that he's now reneging on. Um, if I'm if I remember if I'm paraphrasing what I heard correctly, and and I was wondering so in light of that, um, sort of what are you calling for um, with regards to legislators um, presently in the United States? Because you know money money is what people listen money is what governments listen to. So you cut off the money and then all of a sudden oh was that you I heard you know banging on the door. <laughs> um, <laughs> Well, uh, one I mean, uh, you 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 got you're right. Yes, we literally traveled uh, after you know he was he became a prime minister temporary. He was before he officially sworn in um, in 
April 2nd, and House mm-hmm. Resolution passed in April 20th, uh, 10th, and then we traveled in August uh, with the two members of Congress, uh, the ranking member Bass at the time, and then the Chairman mm-hmm. Smith at the time also. Right now he's a ranking member. She's a chair, chairwoman. But uh, what we are asking, uh, the uh, several things we are asking, the American people, what we want the American people to know is that um, the American people have always been very generous and uh, they have a good interest in American policymakers, particularly the member of Congress, do want to see, a lot of them do want to see prosperous Africa and stable Africa. They have, U.S. have an interest in region and Ethiopia plays a significant role in being a regional key player. Ethiopia is a home to AU, African Union. Ethiopia have a hundred and 13 million population, and it's not a country you can, you know, disintegrate that you think you can have a stability in anywhere in East Africa and possibly Europe too. So you're going to have a regional and international implication for what's going to come from Ethiopia. And then also you have uh, some, uh, you know, uh, unstable regional players like Sudan, South Sudan right there, Sudan right there, Somalia right there, where you have some form of extremism issues. So you, there's, East Africa has been a hot spot for the last three decades. So the stability and security of Ethiopia is a very U.S. interest. We know that. So what we want as Oromo Americans and is that we understand that and we, we think Ethiopians deserve to have a democratic government and a government that represents the people and the government that, you know, keeps promises when they take billions of dollars in aid in the name of development that will not uh, displace farmers, that is not uh, environmentally bad, for, just for the environment in general, people, animals, and the, the earth and everything, that I think is all possible. The American people should have my hope that our listener, your listener, that will do a little bit of research about who the remote people are, what are their demands, you know, because there's this narrative that, quite frankly, makes me sad uh, because for the last, I don't know how many uh, decades, uh, definitely after 21st century, is that people with power, people with media, get to tell their made-up story, and then the world just mm-hmm. leaves that and goes with that, and then you have the indigenous people of such as Oromo, we're not just one, we're just many indigenous people that have unique uh, culture. And I'll give you just an example. I'm a faith follower or traditional faith follower. Today in Ethiopia, if, I'm, if I die, I have no place of barrier. I cannot be barrier because in Ethiopia, the government recognizes only Islam and Christian as a, the only religious faith, where in fact, my people, just to give you one example, and I'm pretty sure majority of Ethiopians are like my people, have their own faith before Christianity mm-hmm. came to Africa, before Islam came to Africa, but yet now, 100 years later, that there is no place for us to be. There is no place for us to be to worship. We don't get recognition. And, and that is, you know, very painful. So I would hope that your listener will dig into what is the demand for more people, don't do more people, which make up not 34.5, as CIA puts it, because that number came up um I'm a writer, you know, I, I wrote and I wrote two books, one published, the second one is just sitting on my shelf uh, because of the chaos in Ethiopia, I, I didn't publish it. 
according to 1990s and 1960s, it puts the Oromo population at 50%. It does not put it as a, sorry about that. It does not, the Oromo population is not 34% of Ethiopian population or 34, it is not at all. It is at 50%. It is, that is at minimum. And that puts the Oromo population at over 50 million. So 50 million Ethiopians, even though one among the 80, 82 ethnic groups should have the right to be governed by the government that has come from the people, that we want to speak our language, that we want to have, you know, freedom, uh, rule of law, all parts of Ethiopia enjoy, the Amhara enjoys, the Tigray enjoys, that uh, Somalia enjoys. If you look at Ethiopia, Ethiopia have about 10 regions right now. If you go to Somalia, you see predominantly over 90% Somalians. If you go to Amhara region, see the same thing. If you go to Tigray, you see the same thing. It is only in Ethiopia, I mean in Oromia, that you see Ethiopia. Over 7 million in Oromia region are non-Oromos. That's where you see the true reflection of Ethiopia. Yet, it is the only people in the only region that get dehumanized that somehow they are unwelcoming to, you know, to the people. So what I want the Americans to know is do a little bit of digging question. You know, why is it that today, Ethiopian bureaucracy, that less than 20% of our Oromo, where Oromo makes up, according to the, and which is 50, where I say 50%, it's a 34 according to the US CIS database. How come Oromos are only at less than 20% when they make up, you know, 34 to 50% of the population? How come, you know, you see, I don't know, less than 1% are Oromos uh, wealth owners or business owners? You have 3.5 million or Ethiopians in Addis, less than 1% are Oromos that own the business, even though the land, the, the original people, the farmers, were Oromo. What happened to those landowners? Where did they go? They did not just disappear. So uh, the policymakers, what we are asking for the policymakers is 2018, the U.S. Congress unanimously passed House Resolution, and that's how Resolution makes a demand about human rights about people's right to protest, and media and journalists freely operating the country, in the country, you know, using a law they called about Magnitsky Act, you know, that so many corrupt people who are in power, who own so much property in America, while Ethiopians cannot afford to eat. Ethiopia is considered one of the most poorest country, I think the second poorest country in the world, but a lot of Ethiopian politicians own businesses in the U.S. and Europe and things like that. So we want, uh, if the U.S. government and policymakers are interested in a stable region and a stable Ethiopia and definitely hopefully democratic Ethiopia, that, that should, be, should respect the law. And that includes the prime minister who is not elected by the people who came in the middle of uh, the election year to transition the country with a promise to keep uh, to give fair and free election to the uh, to the people, which promised not to do that. Yet we have the State Department, after according to the international community and according to and government, over 200 people died, over seven people have been arrested, but our State Department have not made any single statement. The U.S. Embassy. We know they have a CIA. They know everything what's going on. Have not put out a single statement. So it's just like an issue when there are these people collaborating, which I don't want to believe that, and I really don't believe that either. But I just feel like silence in hope that somehow magically, uh, Dr. Abi, 
uh, will make all this disappear in the next few weeks, either by killing them or by somehow magically uh, buying people through money and to silence the Romos. But I think um, the Romos have, we've came a long way. It was crime to be a Romo before 1991. And uh, this is the first time we have a large number of Romos who are educated. And you have millions of Oromos around the world who are speaking up against, who's going to member of Congress and talking to American media, talking to European media and Australian media and all, making all the noises. So they hope that somehow this guy will turn the country that is uh, the young people. Ethiopia is um, a country of over 70% young people under the age of 25 who are hungry for change, hungry for democracy, obviously hungry for job and good, you know, good living for any other youth people who want to enjoy the freedom that are hoping somehow this government, you know, uh, silencing them through gun will be uh, sustainable. I think that is a wrong thing and uh, that U.S. should definitely condemn for what it is that to Amnesty International, Human Rights Watch, Free the uh, uh, International Crisis Group have put out report after report for the last one year. They know this but uh, just remain silent in a hope that something will change is, uh, for me, it's sickening because it, it's, it's not going to be sustainable. People have lost the hope. This government was not elected. He is planning to hold a sham election after he put everybody in prison, and then he's going to be in power for the next five years. And I'll, I'll end it with one thing I want. I know I talked on forever. <laughs> I'll end it with one thing. Um, when Dr. Abi came to uh, power, in 2018 or 2017 late, nobody knows him. The person that brought him to power, is called, his name is called Lama Medusa, who was the Oromia president at the time. This guy, that for us, we are so disappointed at him because we didn't, the system is what made us refugee, people like me. The system is what tortured us, raped us, killed us in millions, and made us refugees in millions, and killed us in hundreds of thousands. Even though with all that pain, the Oromo people forgave them in 2018, when Lama say that Abi means me, Abi means Lama, Lama means Abi, trust me. You know, this is my guy, this is our guy, I'm going to be a Romeo president, and he's going to be the prime minister, and we're going to transition into democracy. But today, this guy, he put us, you know, uh, directly, I know he put us them, because I have a direct connection with a lot of them, that he's about to be arrested, he's in a house arrest. A man that brought him to power, he's in the house arrest in the State Department, nobody's saying anything. So I don't know what else that we have to say to make the noise. So the you know, platform like you have in, have, you know, your listeners, and then, I mean, we are seeking for democracy. The fight we have right now is those of us who want democracy in Ethiopia and those of us who want to bring back the feudalism, the monarch system, or the Nafenya system, what we call Nafenya means it's a person with a gun. It the fight is between those people who want to bring the old system, that which our mm-hmm. parents already won, and those of us who enjoyed Western democracy. Even though it's a Western democracy, the Romans traditional uh, democracy is similar to Western democracy, but the Western stolid is there is there now, so we call it a Western democracy. So I'll end with that one. That. <laughs> <laughs> Oh wow, this is um wow, this is yeah, thank you so much for the background. So I was when I was doing a little background research, um I I uh 
I pulled up your your book. Um, I believe the in between the story of African Correct. Roma women Correct. and the American experience. I'm like, oh man, I should have read this. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> so we we'll have to have you on again after I finish it, because um, yeah, because you know, in your book, from what I read, um, you know, you you talk about you know you sort of set your specific culture and 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 gender sort of like. Uh, you know, that's like the center, but then the conversation is larger than that. It's how, you know, being African women, you know, there's some things that, you know, sort of the politics of African womanhood means that we, we share no matter where we're from, <laughs> um, you know, um, you know, either um, in America or um, in Ethiopia or, or in Europe, you know, in England, or it's sort of like just, we could we can compare experiences and find some things that are overlapping, regardless to, you know, where we end up physically, um, and uh, yeah, that's what I was looking at. I was like, oh, this looks really good. Um, <laughs> so so we're I, gonna, I, um, I go ahead. I was gonna say I wrote actually a chapter about my experience with uh, particularly African Americans because I came as a teen with the accent that yes, I am considered uh, African American and I feel privileged uh, to be considered that. I take it with the pride. Uh, nevertheless, you know, the differences between Africans, you know, the first generation or maybe even not the first generation mm-hmm. like myself, the refugees, versus uh, the Americans, they discriminate, the lack of understanding. Uh, in, because if it was me, the first flight should have, the, the African government should pave the way for our brothers to return if they choose to return, that they should get, you know, the upper leg that a lot of people doing enjoy around the world, but yet African leaders are naturally don't represent the African people. They don't represent the African land. They are slaves who are in power to, you know, steal the property of the next generation and enrich themselves. They travel in the Europe. They enjoy vacation in Africa, in, in America. They have doctors in America, but they set the resource, the human resource and the earth resource, and, uh, and then um, they, they don't really try to heal our brothers around the world, from Haitia to Haitians, Americans, and, uh, and uh, um, Brazilian Africans, and all of that. We don't try to heal that. I feel like we as an African are honestly the chosen people, closest to a center of heirs. And then yet we are the, we are the victim crying everywhere. And just uh, it, it, makes me, it makes me sad. And in my, the in-between is truly about personal experience, like, I was born in Africa, so I know African culture, but I kind of grew up here, so I'm, like, truly confused, and I'm in between. I feel like I don't belong in America, and I don't belong in Africa either. God knows where I belong. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, uh, I, I, I don't even, I, you know, I feel, sort of feel kind of tongue-tied trying to, I think I'm killing your name. I'm really, my apologies, but, uh, my go to um yeah your 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 thoughts uh in this moment yeah i mean uh i I agree with everything that that Sena has said i mean I think even being born here, I've always had some of those sentiments too of not quite feeling like I belong uh either here or back home, and as you know. Just I was thinking as as Sina was talking, like it's true that 
the the whole Ethiopianism and the, that fundamental Ethiopian identity, um, the reality is that the majority of Oromo people don't see themselves in that at all. Uh, I don't. And it's an identity that has never been inclusive of Oromos. It, in fact, has constantly always sought to other us. But at the same time, as I was kind of mentioning before, to shame us into assimilation. And that hasn't worked, and it's not working. And I think that's uh, become extremely frustrating and angering for those people who are actively anti oromo Mm-hmm. I don't know what you right. think about that, Sina. I mean, the thing is, is you know, uh, for a young woman like her who's born here, who it, it should be shocking, and it, it makes me very proud actually to have a child in America, and to raise a child that cares this deeply about her parents, where they came from, the injustice that that shows the the gravity of the magnitude how deep the pain of Oromo is to her parents, that it, trans- it, it transcends to a generation that is born uh, thousands of miles away. And um, But the issue of Oromo is not just the issue of just, to be honest, about Oromo. It's about all indigenous people in Ethiopia and around the world. It's about their identity, their dignity stolen from in the name of development, in the name of religion, that somehow they themselves as they are is not worthy or somehow to be worthy that you have to assimilate whether it's through religion, whether it's through just, uh, I don't know, westernization or whatever it is, or easternization for that matter, whether it's western or eastern culture, we have to, somehow our identity as we are was never good enough, but our land, our resource, Yes, that is needed. In a, it, it's what I actually associated with. Um, I live in Chicago, so in Chicago, I believe in the sixties and seventies, nineties, eighties. So you have the uh, the rich Americans kind of moved to suburb, and then left the ghetto to the city. So you have the city crowded, very poor people. And all the economic went with the to suburban, but the business is one to suburb. But now, if you see justification, like now we are pushed, the force are being pushed from the city to the suburb, and the suburb are coming back to the city. So it's like I feel like the the struggle of African people, indigenous people, like we are when when something is good, we somehow we always moved around. Like if you see the millions of Africans. Immigrating to Europe, immigrating to Middle East, one of the worst places any human leave can live, Middle East, that don't, have, that don't give a right to their own people, half of the population. Yet our people, Doromo people, live in Yemen. Yemen, even Yemeni and Yemenis don't live in Yemen because of the situation in Yemen. Yet our people find home. In Yemen, so that tells you the gravity how bad Ethiopia is to indigenous people, particularly to Oromo people, because Oromos are targeted because of their number, because of their wealth, their natural resource, because of like the their blood somehow became uh, a curse. Not just Oromo. Look at what happened. Look at in the DRC. 
where you have uh, Democratic Republic of Congo, where you have all this uh, iPhone, everything that comes from there, it comes from there, but the indigenous people from there, they don't benefit from it. Yes, they pay, uh, they work there, they are enslaved there, and they get paid, but there's no stability, there's no democratic country there. The government from there makes a deal with the Chinese, makes a deal with certain people to extract the resource, but the people, they need not needed it. So uh, assimilation is what Shino Marshall brought up is that that's the minimum thing that we're like, okay, you know what? You want to live here? You want to live in Ethiopia? You want to pretend like Ethiopia? Okay, let's get you teaching the, the language in the first place. Second, let's get you, you know, transition into Christianity or Muslim, whatever it is. That's what has to be truth. And then after you, you know, learn that and now you worship the same God as whatever, you know, God that you have to worship and learn the language, now you have to act like that now. Somehow, maybe, now you can get a job. But if you want to be like me, that, you know, still today there is no praise uh, for indigenous people where the indigenous way of worshiping God, the way my grandma, she used to, you know, this is, my, my grandma just recently died uh, not even a year ago in the U.S., so she used to worship God different than the way my mom, which is a daughter, did, so they converted eventually, that, um, that, that way of talking to God, that way of practicing culture somehow looked at it backward. So what, you know, Marissa has said is I feel like it's the minimum, and she put it as threat. And I, I talk a lot, so you have to give me one. <laughs> no, no, this is fine. <laughs> no, this is fine. Um, yeah, I, I was really interested um, in, in what you meant by um, indigenous uh, spiritual um, tradition. I was wondering, um, and I'm glad you sort of went into a little more detail, but I was wondering if you could, you know, tell us sort of what, what is the traditional spiritual tradition Um in uh, Onomia, um, that that you practice still, but you say you can't, you could. There's nowhere for you to be buried at home. Like, wow, sounds like something out of um, you know um, Antigone, right? You know, with um, with Sophocles. You know, like that's the ultimate indignity. You know, the ultimate disrespect when you can't bury your dead, right? You know, because as African people, as indigenous people, you know, we we understand sort of. The ceremony and and the importance of of our ancestors and how there is really no separation. You know, the body might be gone, but the spirit is still here. And and so, you know, as the flesh returns to what it what is composed of, you know, there's there's ceremony around there and there's ritual because the spirit is moving between realms. Uh, some of us believe. So anyway, um, yeah. Um, but before you do that, I was wondering, uh, um, Ma, um, Margo, to um, do do you wanna? You have anything you wanna say? <laughs> um, no, no. And this is a conversation, so you definitely can. You know, you don't have to wait to be asked. You can just <laughs> interject. Yeah, because you all know each other, right? Yes, you know each other from social media. Yes, we do. <laughs> She's younger than me. I'm in my thirties. Yeah, I call them the young generation. <laughs> you're still, you're still in the young generation. <laughs> <In your 30s. laughs> if a person is in her sixties, which I am. <laughs> but uh, 
you know, I wonder to 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 say. Um, I think um, what what happened to Africans, what happened to indigenous people, whether it's Native Americans or the one in Brazil or anywhere, it is this disconnection disconnecting us from our roots in the barrier. Is that really what connects us? Our ancestor, like a friend of mine put it, is they perfected it. How for us to live and worship our God, and uh, that is what exactly happened to us. It disconnected us from that root for our mm-hmm. ancestors to give us the guidance we desperately need. They convinces us. They convince us somehow their way of living with earth, worshiping God, practicing that culture. It somehow is backward that we have to upgrade ourselves. To this modern way of, you know, the whatever, because I feel like Christianity brought good values, uh, good thing for humanity, and the same thing with all religion, Muslim, and uh, uh, all, all religion. But I personally feel like as well, like in the faith of my father, grandfather, in the faith of all Romans before they converted to Christianity or Islam, this is the faith of my people, and I feel like that is what sets us apart, unique as a Romans. We worship Romo God. When I say Romo God, it's not like separate God. It's the same God, but we spoke his language. We spoke that connection that transcended our ancestors for generations, for thousands of years. They guided them. They thought, because my grandma used to tell me, like when they needed a rain, they literally would go to the mountain. They would go to the river. And this is true story. I mean, you can even ask anybody, that rain comes. When they want the rain to stop, it's too much, they go pray. And who does pray? The woman is the one who does pray. And God has always answered it. But so magically, over the last 100, 150 years, that kind of practice is backward. That kind of dance, that kind of worshiping God, it is somehow related to, you know, a bad, a bad thing. And in fact, I'll give you one example. The Roma flag, not the political party flag, have a black Red and white in the bottom. So the white reflects the past, the ash, what you see. The blood is the humanity, the blood that's shedding right now, not whether it's in Aromia or in U.S., or, you know, the police, or anywhere that anybody's suffering. But the black, the Roma people call that black, what means black that. And the reason this is so important is, uh, Wanda, is that imagine for a second, you are in the room, there's no light. What is the color of that room? It's dark. Darkness means it's the unknown. It's not bad. It's the unknown. That's why God can only be black because blackness represents the unknown. And blackness is the highest of beauty in, in my culture, where my grandma came. That's how they define beautiful things. That's how my grandma said that, oh, my God, that girl is so beautiful. She's so black. That's what it is defined by. But now, somehow, you know, like blackness is, Darkness, oh, my God, the darkness is up on me. You know, darkness is looked at something bad, which is, to me, is the reverse. And uh, so the indigenous, the, the religion that I practice to be in Ethiopia, less than 2 to 3% of Ethiopians or maybe Oromians, are, they follow this faith. Nevertheless, if I were to die in Addis today or any majority of the country, because the government give the land for cemetery, a cemetery uh, for house of worship, you know, to, uh, to government allocate that. But even though we are indigenous, even though everybody knows that we transition into Christianity, 
or Muslim in the last 100 to 150, yet they have land. They own properties. Islam, as well as Christianity, but like Islam, don't even have a place of barrier. And that is how sad for me. It makes me so angry that, like, I cannot believe that we are time to fight a piece of land when we are the indigenous. Obviously, like Islam belongs to Romu. It did not come from the Arabs. It did not come from the Jewish, or it did not come from across the Red Sea. It came from there. It's, or, it's indigenous. That's what means it's, it's originated from there. It's a Christianic. It is the, it's our, it, that's what our great-grandparents used to practice. It doesn't matter whether who you are, whether you are Christian now or Muslim now. You three, four generation, I can promise you, past five generation, there's no such a thing as Christianity or Islam among Romans. So uh, indigenous, you know, as native, and a lot of uh, but the Native American culture practice is very similar to Romo. And it's actually, if you look at the Perus, if you look at anywhere, the Native culture it is so similar to across the whole world. But the Native or the Indigenous culture is uh, obviously overtaken. And the way I see it is that um, it was this secret society where people have to be, uh, uh, I don't know, I don't know, re- rebaptized, not just in terms of Christianity, but just being baptized in this new age to kind of bring themselves to us with the old way of our ancestor, of the spirit that I, I personally feel like, the spirit, what guides me. And a lot of the knowledge that we seek out there, we study, we read so much books, we listen on the TV. A lot of those knowledge is produced by somebody else. And those knowledge are limited. But the limitless, the infinity of knowledge is within our heart. But we don't really listen to our heart. We shut down our hearts, our minds. We don't look internally, but we look out outside seeking for knowledge when we, because we are so disconnected from our ancestors that have you know, done so much. And they, they didn't just uh, uh, come over one generation. This ancestor, this uh, culture, this faith that came through generation, it got better and it got better up until now we transition into the modern monotheistic religion, whether it's a, you know, old Abraham religion. And I have nothing against, I am saying, you know, I, I told you I have a family who believes uh, in this faith, so I, do, I have love and I do see their contribution. But I just, it, it, it just, I just feel like uh, our faith, our indigenous faith, is looked down where the modern religion, it doesn't matter where it's, uh, uh, you know, the, the three main religions are looked at somehow savior, of this planet, and, and anyway, so that's, I hope I explained uh, what indigenous means uh, through my rumbling. <laughs> yeah, I just wanted to know if you could spell the name of the uh, indigenous um, spiritual um, practice uh, and tradition, if you could spell it for people so that they could uh, find out more about it, and, and also... Um, wondering if, if you all could give your contact information and information about the um, uh, the organizations that, that we've been talking about and where hopefully there are calls to action so that people could, you know, get involved so that, um, you know, we can, um, you know, help people get out of, out of these prisons and, and, and sort of help, you know, those various um, – demands and, and principles that you would like to see instituted around democracy, around an election, around um, more even distribution of the wealth, et cetera. Um, 
can can happen. And then and then I want to talk about, you know, the artists, you know, that are also revolutionaries, that are that are sort of moving, you know, this uh, uh, third second wave of a protest. If I'm if I'm yeah, third wave calling, third wave. Okay, thank you. I just um, <clears throat> I just wanted to say I um, have to get going, but I wanted to say thank you to Sena. I think it's so important for us to talk about um, not only our indigenous um, religion, but also you know very tied in with the Oromo um, indigenous systems and social systems. And um. We can't hear you anymore. Um, oh, can you hear me now? Oh, yeah, you're back. Uh-huh, thank you. Okay. Um, yeah, so I, I think that um, it's really important because the the Oromo have so many um, indigenous systems that really uh, spiritually and democratically guide us, and so really that's at the core of core of our movement. Um, but before I go, I would love to respectfully share some resources for your audience. Um, so for the Oromo Advocacy Alliance uh, that Howie and I are both members of, um, you can go to oromoadvocacy.org. And then to learn more about what's going on with the Oromo protest movement, um, you can go to oromoprotests.org. Okay. And and do you have any? Um, yeah, I think I uh, visited a couple of links um, on Facebook. Mm-hmm. Do you want to give like your own contact information so people can can look at some of the uh, conversations that um, that you are facilitating? Sure. Yeah. Um, trying to think what the best way. I my Twitter is at Miss Katilla. M I S S K I T I L A. Um, that would probably be the best way, I think. Okay, excellent, excellent. Well, super. Uh, well, this has been a really, because each conversation gets, I, I get more and more clarity. <laughs> so this was yeah. really excellent. Thank you so much. Yeah, and, and yeah, I was wondering. I really um, appreciate. Oh, go ahead. Sorry. Oh, no, I was just wondering um, also as you as you leave, if you want to, um, mm-hmm. you know, do a shout out to any any um ancestors um you know um any musicians that you really you know think are articulating you know sort of the passion of of the of the movement for for freedom any calls you know how sometimes there there are these shout outs um and and I know um t show um you know he gave a shout out when I had our first conversation about a month or so ago so anyway I was just wanted to know if you want to leave like that <laughs> to go on with your day. Sure, and, and yeah, you yeah. Tell, I mean, the, I, tell me what the response is, because <laughs> I'm sure, um, uh, you know, um, our other, um, our sister, um, uh, Sina, probably knows the response, but I might not. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I mean, I think this is still weighing heavily on our hearts, but I, I do definitely um Thinking of Hajj Alu Hundesa, um, unfortunately, it's been well over a month at this point since he was assassinated. We still have um, no answers, um, and it's you know, I, I think that he was a, such a 
an important and fundamental voice for the the Oromo people, and um, it's really heartbreaking what's happened. But um, I want to give a shout out because um, he has, you know, fueled the fire within us, and um, that is really pushing this this next wave of the movement forward. So, um, with that, I just want to say thank you so much. Wanda, um, I really, truly appreciate um, the platform that you're giving to Oromo Voices and your solidarity really means a lot. So thank you. Oh, you're quite welcome. Stay in touch. Okay. Thank you. All right. Peace and blessings. Okay. Miss Sina. All righty. So I don't know what what so question that, was that I asked you. <laughs> well, you want to say first the contact, call to action, and what if you want, I right. guess. Is that, exactly. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. So why you protect your next question? So let me just try to give our audience or your audience uh, contact. So okay. they can find us Ola, which is O L L A A dot org, or they can find us online at Ola. Oromo. Allah means in, my, in our Romo language, neighbor. So it means like Allah, that's a proper spelling of a neighbor. Oromo. O R O M O. Yeah. <laughs> Allah Oromo, Twitter, on Facebook, on Instagram, they can find us there. Info at org. they can directly contact me. Uh, they can contact me, S Jimjimo, my name, at org. they can also contact me directly. We have volunteers and some stuff that can try, like, you know, answer them. If it's estimjimo at ola.org, that is my direct email. They can contact me there. Um, our call to action, Wanda, is right now, this is a tough time because of COVID and because there's so much instability in, in this election in the U.S. And with the chaos for talking, the one that you mentioned earlier, like the last thing Americans are used to was Oh. Um, I, I'm not hearing you anymore. Sorry. Uh-oh. Oh, the call dropped. She will call us back shortly. All righty. Wow, this has been so enlightening. Oh, my goodness. Um, yeah, I actually have... Uh, in the fact sheet, while she's while we're waiting for um, uh, for Sina to call us back, uh, it says, um, um, "Oh, here she is." Before I before I read the fact sheet. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Oh, no I problem. Good. Yes, you're back. <laughs> okay. I don't know what happened because I was just talking. Uh, did you hear when I gave my contact information? Oh yeah, I got all the contact information. Oh yeah, got all the contact information, and then you were um, getting ready to um, for the, the call, call to action, action right? and that's when that's when you dropped. Mm-hmm. Okay, so I was just saying that uh, when I'm making call to action right now, I want to tell the audience that I understand the instability, the insecurity, the concern the American public are going through right now. And you mentioned earlier about the mail situation. It was one thing that Americans were used to having their mail on time. That's the last mm-hmm. thing. And now even that is you know, on time. So it shows you how far we, America, have came, how far we have came. And I understand that. But the call to action, what we want from 
you and to all your listeners is obviously is to contact a new member of Congress, your senator. You know, you can go on ola.org, uh, uh, and then uh, there is letter that we ask the member of Congress to kind of, you know, sign. Uh, that letter is on our website. Or you can just say, like, hey, I'm concerned about what's going on in Ethiopia. The Ethiopian government shut down Internet for three weeks, and over 300 people have died, according to government. Our reports say over 1,000 people. And we have two employees in Ethiopia, and some of our employees are now there scared and hiding for their lives. And uh, the prime minister has just removed his deputy, who really became deputy. He was the chair. He became deputy to make him the prime minister. He's in the house arrest. So we ask all of your audience to please reach out to Congress, telling them what's going on in Ethiopia, what's going on about Oromo people particularly. We want to be a voice for all Ethiopians because this call is for all forces that want to see democratic and peaceful Ethiopia, that everybody have the right to exist without really having to convince, to convert, or assimilate in something else. So we want you to call your member of Congress. And the last one you asked me was about the faith that I practice. Mm-hmm. Uh, that one's complicated because I will spell to you in English version, but I, we yeah. have uh, uh, the final remote version, but the problem with that is they are still working on the website and try to come up with something. It's called, mm-hmm. the, well, I spell it the way you're going to find it online. It's W-A-A-Q-E-E, F as in Frank, F as in Frank, A as in Apple, N as in Nancy, A as in Nancy, A as in Apple. I'm sorry, A in N N A at the end. What if and not? So it's W A A Q E F F A N N A. That is the faith that I practice. Okay, yeah, I found it, but I just wanted to make sure because, you know, sometimes you you think you find it's like when I saw your name and I saw the book, I'm like, I think this is her. <laughs> but you spell out those two middle names. Um, well, no, you, yeah, whereas before usually you just put them as initials. And then here I found this, and I'm like, I think this is it. Okay. Oh, thank you. Yeah, I'm really looking forward to learning more about it. I, I love learning about, you know, pre-Christian um, and Islamic um, faith in, in, in our in our African um you know, on our you know African communities, um, the various countries. It's I really love knowing, like, well, what were you doing before? <laughs> mm-hmm. well, you know, you know who sure you know who was the creator. Right? What were the stories you were telling before? You know. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Indeed. I just think about Genoa and Cheba, you know, and things fall apart, and, and that is sort of like my go-to around colonialism. And 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 how you know religion is what colonized and what enslaved our people, you know, throughout the diaspora, um, starting with the continent. Yeah, I mean, uh, I mean, that I feel like any rational person should ask that question, right? You wonder, like, what was mm-hmm. my ancestors were doing pre-Christianity or pre-Islam? Mm-hmm. You know that, and then. Why is it, you know, why do we don't talk about that? Or why, and I feel like the whole planet is going through this process, cleansing itself or herself, the planet, is because mm-hmm. of disconnect between the indigenous people because the indigenous faith is really, the, it's, it's like the, the glue that connects humanity to planet, the earth, that we, 
walked away from treating planet as if part of us, rather as we just have to go in there, extract the minerals in, a, in the most heinous way and sell it to the highest bidder and call it the day. You know, that is what happened uh, in the last, I think, like in the century. You know, capitalism definitely, you know, that all of a sudden, like, bam, you know, we just go over there. Do you have gas here? Let's get the gas. Do you have gold here? Let's get the gold. Do we have, you know, whatever it is, they have just, you, you know, we kind of set it as fast as possible and we walk away and we don't, you know, we don't try to see how the kind of the impact, the environmental damage, the human impact that will have. We have a uh, one of, we have a rich guy. Well, he's no longer. I don't know. He was in prison in Saudi, but he got out last year. He was the twenty, the seventy-two richest man on planet. I believe, if I'm not mistaken, in the Africa or uh, the whole world, he's seventy-two. Wow. Yet, yes, yet he he owns a gold mining. And the people from there, that area is Oromia area. The people from there are so impacted by the the you know the the water that came up from there, like the mothers having injured like abnormal babies, the animals, the and all of them. Mm-hmm. Nobody asked, you know, what I'm saying? nobody asked about that. And like he just takes the money, you know, like uh, the resource and the human impact, the environmental impact. That's why we have global warming. That's why you have all this chaos, this disconnect between indigenous people, indigenous faith, and the planet, because that is a special relationship between people and the planet, the, the, I don't know, the, the land. That mm-hmm. disconnect, I feel like, creates a big problem. Yeah, yeah, because, you know, we're all citizens of the same, same you know, you know, planet. Um, so, it's, you know, how... You know the human species um, interacts has the greatest negative impact uh, because you know the animals, the plants, you know things we see and don't see. You know they're in concert with the natural order. It's like okay, well you know I don't want to do anything if I could, but you know they're on they're they're operating through instinct, so they don't necessarily have choice um, like we do to just ruin things. You know for the other species that are just. You know, um, trying to be a good citizen. Yeah, yeah. So, who, who, this, this, this rich seventy-second richest person um, that you said just got out of prison in um, in Ethiopia or elsewhere? I think his richest. I'm gonna Google like his name. Um, <laughs> yeah, he he was in prison. He got the Saudi. Uh, you know where? Oh, uh, the prince. Uh, he arrested a lot of Saudi people. Mhm. It, it was in the news last year, and he not last year, two years ago, and uh, he was okay. among the people who got arrested. Um, mm-hmm. He's uh, he's in Let me try again. Yeah. So was he arrested because he was, um, you know, um, uh, polluting, you know, like not not practicing, you know, safe environmental. Um, I want the African president they don't arrest you for polluting. You can pollute as much as you want. Just give them the money. So he's not arrested oh. because of his pollution. When he was oh. arrested for in Saudi, he, the Saudi government arrested him because he he was, he refused to give about one billion or something. He refused to give money, so they got him in corruption or something like that. He remember this guy is Ethiopian. His all his wealth comes from Ethiopia. He's half Ethiopian, half I think is Yemeni or Arab or something. And oh. uh, and uh, he 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 gives the government millions of uh, dollars. So the government they just look that way. They don't care about the pollution that's happening. They don't care about the environmental impact that local people are feeling because they live in somewhere else. 
They, leave, they build houses in the West and in America and Europe. They don't have any kind of whatsoever impact that the local people are in. That's why they don't speak up. The African leaders, I don't know any government that have brought any African uh, or any person because of the uh, pollution or human rights that they don't, you don't face the injustice. They still, they come and build house here in the West and they leave here after the age of 80 or whatever when they're done uh, governing or staying the country. And, you know, that's, that's the saddest thing. You know, the young people are running away in search of uh, jobs, in search of security and in fear of uh, political reputation because of their, you know, believe or values, they run away, they come into West and die. In the process of going to Europe, a lot of the cops that get sided to the boat, they die. They die, you know. Mm-hmm. Uh, so the young people yes, are dying right. in a way. The old people, yeah, keep stealing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, I was just thinking, um, Wow, well, there are a lot of places we could go, but we don't have a lot of time, and I don't know what your time is like. Yeah, eight more minutes, okay. That's what I thought. So I'm just gonna just 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 sort of like just throw a whole lot out there. Um, just things that I'm thinking about, and I've been like taking a lot of notes, and I'm like, okay, how do you spell this? Um. And I was just thinking about sort of biblically, um, you know, we think about Menelik and and the whole creation of of you know of of a um, uh, a creation story for this land, you know, that you call home, and a lot of people called home before it had this this new uh, creation story, and um, you know, uh, in the land that you know is, is known as Ethiopia, and um, and just sort of where that land sits. Um, you know the first, the first people. You know the first human being. You know Eve, her bones were found in East Africa, right? Um, uh, in Ethiopia, right? Exactly. So the first people, like we all come from there, um, unless unless you look at the other narrative and that says that the first people come from Southern Africa. So, um, so there there are two stories, and um, and then um, and then I think about you know Black August. You know, this particular month is a month where we, you know, lift up, you know, our revolutionaries. We also look at our martyrs, uh, particularly around, you know, the uh, prison um, rebellions. Um, we're thinking, I'm thinking George Jackson, but before that, you know, his brother trying to liberate him, Jonathan Jackson. So Jonathan Jackson stand at the Marin um, Courthouse, you know, where he was trying to, Free his brother because he saw that through the court system it wasn't happening, and then he was shot along with other people like the judge, etc. That was the 50th anniversary last week on Friday, and then next week on Friday the 21st is the 50th anniversary of his brother being shot as he was in the yard um, at San Quentin, and and then I think about Bob Marley's 75th birthday, you know, this year, um, uh, February 6th. And 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 Haile Selassie, he, you know, he is a god, <laughs> you know, in, in the Rastafarian community. Yeah, yeah. I'm just I'm just telling you what I'm thinking. You know, I'm, you can respond. No, no, no. Go ahead, please, please. <laughs> but I, I'll tell you a story about Bombali's son. I met. I'll tell you what happened between us. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and yeah, and then you know, and then you know, you mentioned you know Sudan, you know, and Somalia. I mean, you know, Eritrea. I mean, it's just like. Oh man, you know East Africa is so rich, you know, um, in in the 
in the narrative that is, you know, black lives and African diaspora and African lives, right? Because we're all connected um, to all of these stories. I mean, they sort of like, they don't, they're not in conflict with one another at all. <laughs> um, I'm talking about indigenous stories, uh, not the conqueror stories. So anyway, yeah. um, so that's what I've been thinking. And, oh, and then also um, I wanted to play this, this song that uh, Tissot, Tissot, um sent me. And uh, and I, I hope you have time to like talk about it with me. It's uh it's um Ad, Adi um let's see uh, I don't know how to pronounce her name. Um anyway um it's uh, I'll spell it for you. Um A A D D E E um I L Fanash um Kanu Ya Ilman uh Kusha Tik. It's an old Kush. Um, peace. Yeah. Uh, mm-hmm. So anyway, I wanted you to maybe, if you know the song. <laughs> well, okay. Um, Adis, and then I, I said that I just like Adis. What should I think? Is that what it is? Adis. A D D I S. Yes. Yes. What is it after that? Um, let's see. Let me find it again. Um, A D D I S. Oh, I could. Um, I could. I could email it to you. Um. Let's see. The, the, the title is called "Descendants of Kush," and um, and and this particular singer, oh, um, Il Il Finesh, uh Kanu, she's a legend. Yeah, she's been she's in prison legend, and tortured yeah. because of her resistance songs, and she's been in exile for many years. She is, and it's funny thing. She was arrested. Actually, she was in the same prison as my dad was at one point, where they shaved her head. Oh. Uh, my dad told me they shaved her head like uh, without putting in water. They just shaved it off uh, with uh, through uh, I don't know some kind of thing. I don't even know what they, what they call it. <laughs> but he, she, it was very painful. Yes, she's a legend, oh. and I know her and her daughters are uh, young. They're, they're Norwegian now. She's a very legend indeed. She's you know she's one of the first women. Who think uh who's got uh, movements, you know, the injustice uh how people were feeling. Mm, mhm. Wow, and and your your father and she were in in prison at the same time. You said they shaved her head? Yeah, they shaved her hair. Uh, uh. like some primitive stuff, whatever they shaved her was. But apparently it's it's, it's, a, it's supposed to be when you shave hair, you're supposed to wash mm-hmm. it and then you put water and things like that. And um but that didn't happen in her case. They just wanted to inflict a deep Lasting pain, and um, oh, that's the so hard. Yeah, I mean, you know, the first the first woman in Africa that put to death, she didn't die, was in Ethiopia, and she's a Romo, and she lives in the U.S. now. The U. The Ethiopian oh. government gave her a death sentence, but mm-hmm. she served 18 years and came to the U.S. eventually. She lives in a in a in Texas now. 18 years. The, the, wow, that's a long time. The torture the torture my people faced. It's unspeakable, Rwanda. It is inhuman. It's unbelievable. This is the torture that we know the people live in the U.S. This lady I mentioned to you, another lady who lives in Colorado. I was driving when I interviewed her. I could not drive. I had to pull over and just cry for about five minutes. What they did to her. What they do to women. What they're doing to women right now as we speak in prison. The kind of uh, torture is, is against the U.N., Yet, Ethiopia received billions of dollars for the last 30 years and plus from the U.S. and the EU. While all this uh, going on, while Amnesty International, Human Rights Watch, have reported uh, some of this torture. And 
have paved the way for millions of Oromos to go around the world. Like there's hundreds of thousands of Oromos in the U.S., same thing in Canada, same thing in Europe, same thing in Australia. They, they bring us to these countries as if this is somehow would solve the problem. So instead of addressing the root cause of the problem, it's like they're kind of treating, uh, you know, just uh, treating the problem. But, um, yeah, so I'll finish. I know it's the singer name, the one you were mentioning, the legend. Okay. Yeah. So um, uh, with regards to um, any of the the topical um, uh, thoughts that I was having, um, you know, in your concluding statement perhaps? <laughs> <laughs> I know, right? <laughs> I'm going to talk, but I know that one day I, I'm so used to talking to a lot of uh, uh, people trying to educate. I'm very, as you can, I hope you can sense in my voice. I'm very passionate, and um, I lived here for more than half of my life. and lived in here very long. I grew up uh, with African Americans. Those are you know people I can relate to more than I can relate to Ethiopians because um, growing up. I went to school here, obviously. You know, it's, it's, well, the saddest thing is that the issue about Oromo people is not about ethnic group, this ethnic group versus that ethnic group, but the government uses that pretext and what they empower and steal from one uh, ethnic group and give this to a certain ethnic group or certain people, and they create this hate. And uh, I grew up, you know, hearing... Name, my name being called. I'm too beautiful to be to be a Romo. I'm too beautiful to claim like Efana. Why would you want to be like Efana? That is such. You know, I grew up in that, and I'm, you know, positive feminist, and uh, I feel like people have misunderstanding what feminism to me. It's about four generational feminism. You know, from the 1920s and now after the Me Too movement. Um, but um. My last thought is that um, for all of you listeners, and that uh, you know, I'm very, very grateful to you for the opportunity. Uh, hopefully, we'll come back and talk. And I think this conversation is worth missing, and that's why it's <clears throat> some of our pain, some of our struggle, is kept only between us. But I feel like we have the whole world on our side because we have the truth on our side. What we are asking the world and all your listeners to do is dig for the truth. Don't speak for the Oromos. Speak for the truth. And we want the U.S. government to go send an independent investigator because the U.S. is about to give millions of dollars in the name of development to Ethiopia. This has been in the making uh, the, about the issue of guard. You know, uh, everybody, you, you know, you have thousands of people arrested, according to the government, 7,000. According to our report, you know, the very uh, credible report, over 100,000 people have been arrested. The country is on the verge of civil war. People are crying and people are uh, killing and dying on the street and bodies not being buried, bodies being eaten by animals. Babies breastfeeding, uh, dying on the street. And we have all this chaos, but the regime want to talk about filling the water and, and, uh, and forgive me, I mean, what pride is that? Who are you? Who elected you? I mean, you have to be elected by the people to represent the people. You cannot be a dictator. Eighty percent of the water the people are Egypt are fighting from it comes from Romania, but Romans are in prison. We are crying. We're dying. 
we don't care. I don't personally, I don't care about the water right now because even if you fill that water, they're going to sell it to Kenya or give the, the electricity to some other place. I want to stop dying. I want my people to stop getting killed. And uh, Oromuma, me being Oromu, should not be seen as a, as a crime. I want our leaders who are in prison to be released. I want your audience to make that phone call to member of Congress, say, like, what's going on in Ethiopia? Why do we have this many people died? Why is the Romo people being in prison and being put in prison? Why is breastfeeding mother are dying on the street and nobody's saying anything about it? Why is the State Department silent? And then all of this is uh, we're asking for the truth as uh, indigenous people and not just for Romo. We want to be voice for all Ethiopians that have a, that is interested in democracy. If there is democracy, we have the number to win the elections. But the the prime minister, who was never elected by the by the by anybody, whom the time is about to be over in about a month, would not have any legitimacy to continue governing. But nobody's saying anything about that, so they want him to continue governing for God knows eternity. But I, that we want the American people to understand this issue, to push the U.S. government to speak up, and uh, if they want to know more about this, they want to speak and they want to learn and they want to help us. I, you know, I beg them to definitely go to ola.org, email us, email me personally. You can put my name online. I, I don't mind. I'm very passionate. I'm willing to, you know, to give my last breath to this cousin, to this people, and I wanted to thank you. Thank you so much again, Wanda. Oh, well, thank you so much. I'm so happy you, you could join us um, and, you know, and spend the last 40 minutes or so with us. This has been really enlightening. And, uh, and yeah, I, I want to re- read your book and, and have you back on to talk more um, once I have. Um, and then the one that's on your shelf, does that mean that you're not going to publish it? <laughs> you have to pay a lot of money for that one, Wanda, now. <laughs> okay. <laughs> I'm just kidding. It's not out yet. It's probably out, probably. I'm just going to it, It's finished. It's been finished for the last five months. I have not done anything oh. to it. Okay. Yeah, it's just that I did not. Um, I got into the strike, though. You know, I, I thought I thought we won. You know, when the new prime minister came to power, I thought we won. I wrote about him. You know, a lot of the stuff I wrote about was my first time I met him, my conversation mm-hmm. with him, my feeling mm-hmm. at the time when we thought we're like, this is it. Finally, we got to the promise. You know, place that our you know ancestors, our fathers have said that we. And so I thought we that was it. And now at this age go back to activism, to go back to making phone calls endless, to be on the phone and the conference line seven days a week, 15 hours a day, it's, it's not easy. So I, I trust uh, with the, with, that's why I didn't release the second book. But it's actually a very big book, but 400 pages. <laughs> mm-hmm. Okay, yeah. Yeah, whereas you're finished and you need to just delegate, you know, <laughs> give it to somebody to send out. <laughs> <laughs> I do, I do. Wow, I'm yeah, definitely. <laughs> um, yeah, it seems like it brings us up to uh, the present, um, what you just said. So, yeah, it's it'll be a useful tool, um, you know, to help people understand what's happening. But, yeah, thank you. Thank you so much. It's been really, really enlightening, um, you know, speaking to you um, and, uh, you know, to the other, um, you know, guests this morning. Um, yeah, and then last week and two weeks before that, it's been really, really great. Thank you all so much for making yourselves available. Really appreciate it. 
Thank you. And, and, to, and to those who organized the, the, the various panel discussions, I appreciate that as well. And, and to the, you know, behind-the-scenes education, you know, that I've been getting. <laughs> like, okay, read this. <laughs> read that. Listen to this. All right. <laughs> and, and I definitely have to mention that, you know, you're a great um, uh, great and passionate, you know, uh, representative and speaker. And, yeah, I saw you um, sort of um, giving your testimony um you know, around around the uh, House Resolution um, 128, and um, yeah, it's really really great. Um, so there's a whole lot, you know, you know, available to people who want to know what's happening. Um, you know, hearing yeah. directly from persons like yourself, people that are directly impacted, um, and and I, I think I think you know, sort of what I've heard so far that everyone is fair, you know. Um, and uh, and it's not you know it's not about a particular hegemony. It's about you know those voices that have been silenced and it's you know majority aroma, but not the only voices, right? Right. Um, you know right. everyone is everyone is being silenced. That's that's not that's not you know sort of speaking the party line, which is the line that the party line is the one that's been compromised by uh, multinationalists, which are about the money, about you know the the gold is about greed. It's not about the people. You know, and the land and the water and what's important. So, you know, that's always the story, right? Yep, yep. Mhm. Yeah. So I'm gonna let you get on with all those emails and phone calls and everything else you you have to do. <laughs> and I'm gonna play this song. And and it's so cool though that you have a an actual connection, you know, with the uh, the songwriter. Like, wow, your dad. That is so cool. And I'm so happy yeah. she's free. That's awesome. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So oh, do you I have like a enough. do you have a call or anything that you know you say at the end of, you know, meetings, rallies, protests, whatever? <laughs> uh <laughs> we do have a uh, maybe I'll come back and talk about it. Yes, we will have uh, something coming up uh, the, this weekend, actually this Friday. Uh, we have in religious uh, uh, protests like the Muslim and the Christians, uh, almost, and the Ethiopians will be rallying against the uh, injustice, against the killing by the the current. Uh, I don't know. I call it the nationalism, and uh, mm-hmm. so we call upon all Ethiopians, all peace-loving people, to kind of join our faith uh, leaders and uh, show we, we're, we're saying that, the, you know, the truth shall set us free. And if we are wrong, we should apologize and we seek, seek for forgiveness from God and humanity that are uh, social coming support. And then uh, we're going to have another one coming up in September, and I'll keep you posted on that one. Okay, so this weekend, um, um, this is happening, you mean like the 16th, 17th, or yeah. or the- uh, Fifteenth? Isn't the fourteenth, right? Friday. Friday. Oh, the fourteenth, Friday. Okay. Yeah, Friday the fourteenth. We have a faith religious uh, uh, rally for peace, mm-hmm. and um, mm-hmm. then uh, the yeah, so, yeah, it's it's coordinated by uh, Christians, uh, by by basically by the church and by the mosque leaders. And last mm-hmm. week we had by the women, like a woman uh, protest against the all. I don't know, international protests by women, coordinated by women, this week by religious state leaders, and then uh, mm-hmm. we will do the advocacy one on September. Mm-hmm. Right, yeah. So no one uh, spoke about how that went, the, the rally last last week. How did it go? Uh, it was it was amazing. I mean, uh, it, it was across, across the world, from Canada to 
uh, D.C., Minnesota, and California, and then, you know, that, so that's women, it's all women matters, like young people are the center, the leaders, the organizers uh, that mm-hmm. did last week. And before that, you know, we've been protesting for the last five weeks, almost every week, every week for the last five weeks. But, mm-hmm. you know, we don't really get a lot of the media attention that we really need it. The media, mm-hmm. you know, is controlled by certain people. And it's hard to get the media attention, especially here in the U.S. But uh, another one coming up, there's another major, huge uh, protest taking place on Friday again in Seattle by Seattle Global Community. And uh, there are two American Oromos who are some born here, I think some grew up here, have been in jail in Ethiopia for the last five weeks. And, you know, uh, our leader, like Doha Muhammad, the Kalangarba, Shem Sadin, and I mean, these people have been tortured in prison. These people mm-hmm. like Doha have one almost two million followers. He has a 50 million strong supporter that will die. So there is a protest, uh, really, you know, to freedom. We want uh, free Ethiopia, where people have the right to vote and elect who they represent them, that an elected person, an elected, this guy believes that, uh, uh, I believe that his mom, that's what he said at the age of seven, told him that he would be a king. He wants to be a king. We don't, we don't believe in a king system. We already, done, you know, uh, toppled down the kingship in the 1970s. I listened last day who is the heinous criminal that Mumbai um, and I mentioned to you, I met him when I used to work, that they worship him as a guy. This guy belongs with Hitler. You know, he belongs, he is there, and he belongs there. His name shall be recognized, and they must be Hitler. That's what he did to our people, not just normal people. He did to the Walaita people, Somali people. He did to all Ethiopians. Yes, um, he was guided and, uh, by a small elite who want to make him more than what it is. And this guy is an evil, pure evil guy. I have last name is pure evil guy. And unfortunately, some of our brothers got the wrong information. They do worship him. So that all of that is unfortunate. Mm-hmm. Right, yeah. And I wanted to mention that, um, um, is it Marie or Marie uh, Bashir's brother is one of the persons that um, is American that's imprisoned in Ethiopia. And she mentioned that, you know, he just sort of heard the call of the prime minister, you know, for folks in the diaspora to come home and help. And and, and now he's, you know, locked up. Um, yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. She's so right. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. Wow. Um, yeah, I keep on, keep on letting you, like, close out, and then I have another question. So this is really the last one. Um, I was wondering, uh, <laughs> you know, um, you know, this month um, is uh, the centennial of the um, Marcus Garvey's uh, UNIA um, ACL, um, the big meeting that was held in, um, in in New York in Madison Square Garden, um, uh, a meeting of African peoples from throughout the world, and 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 sort of looking at a United States of Africa, looking at um, African peoples pulling their resources you know, um, around the theme, you know, um, around one aim, one destiny, one Africa, that we are the same. And and I was just wondering um, if, um, if, if you, uh, you know, in, in your, um, in your scholarship and in your, your um, 
cultural um, development if if Marcus Garvey and and the whole idea of Pan Africanism um, sort of ever is is a part of of your um, philosophical um, thread. Well, I'm glad this is the last question because Pan-Africanism is exactly what we preach for and what I preach and what I believe for. And what is like of Pan-Africanism is really what's bringing us divide and conquer, dividing us. So Pan-Africanism is a way forward that we are brothers. We have the resource. The next frontier is Africa. Africa is blessed in every way. We are blessed. We are, you know, like we are here to save uh, you know, to save ourselves and to save everybody. And we belong in Africa. We are indigenous to Africa. So Pan-Africanism, true Pan-Africanism, now where you have, uh, you know, uh, blood speakers, excuse my language, leaders, like, like Dr. Abiraina in power, killing people, want to be a, a king for Ethiopia, the seventh king in Ethiopia, but not by those people who preach and want things and appeal charismatic and uh, care about humanity and bring their own people, their own clique. No, we want Pan-Africanism. That is uh, one something I'm pushing for. That we uh, Africans, from indigenous Africans, we're acoustic, and that we want to uh, we want to really talk to each other. How, how can we get to that level where we have an African continent that, you know, we have some kind of uh, relationship where we don't need a passport or, or visa to travel across, where we can share the the currency where we can share the resource because we have everything we need and that will be something I would love to be part of it so but at least mm-hmm. right now it's talking about Ethiopia oh wow yeah that was I'm glad I asked that question <laughs> yes Yes, yeah, thank you so much. This, this has been really really wonderful and I want to I want to let people know that um that the um UNIA is is asking ACL is asking people on Monday, uh, Marcus Garvey's birthday, the seventeenth, to um, to put your flag out, like if you know the flag for your nation, um, and yeah. also if you have one, you know, put out the Pan African flag, you know, the the red, black, and green, you know, because there, you know, Flag Day for for this country is uh, yeah. June fourteenth. Um, but that's really, I mean, even though black people died, it's really not a flag that represents. <laughs> Our people, you yeah. know, here in, yeah. in this sphere, yeah. um, the way it should. I mean, definitely it should, but it doesn't. So, you know, like you said, you know, um, we are we are one people, and if we could just get together, um, we would have so much power because we run things. I mean, we live in you yeah. know Africa, the most rich, it's the richest land in the whole world, and and we are the most brilliant people, um, and we're all over the world, you know, as well as you know. In Africa, which is our home, so yeah, yeah. So hopefully, you know, very soon, you know, um, we will, you know, come into realizing that I think people are becoming more aware of the things we share rather than the places where we differ, because we have, you know, the same enemy. <laughs> cool. So I'm gonna I'm gonna go out with this beautiful song. Could you could you pronounce um, the, uh, the songwriter's name again for us? Yeah. An activist. Ethnish. Ethnish. Okay. Cool. Cool. All righty. Well, you have a good rest of the day, and looking forward to talking again um, about your published book, and you know when it's the manuscript is ready, the the new book, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and um, 
and definitely uh, we're going to link to um, you know to your website um, where people can get the language for that letter, and also you know read up on on other things that are happening right now that we spoke about. Yeah. And yep. and please be yep. in touch. Let me know sort of what's going on, and I will make sure I get the word out as well. We'll do that. Thank you so much, Rhonda. All right. You take good care. Peace and blessings. All right. Bye bye. Bye. Then I get a 
Well, that was really great. I wish I knew the details of what what she was saying, but it was yeah, really, really wonderful. And uh, yeah, it's been really great having these conversations about uh, Aromia and Ethiopia and what's happening presently there. And I wanted to um, uh, let people know as well that last weekend I wasn't able to make it to the uh, the protests that were organized by Aromo um, uh, um, um, Youth. Um, organization um, in you know by women activists because I was at the uh, in Cobra conference um, I think it was the 32nd one it was online but I was there and um, and one of the things that was spoken about uh, in Cobra is organization that is looking at uh, reparations in a lot of different um, ways uh, for people of African descent in the diaspora via um, the the slave trade um, about 500 or so years ago now, and um, and so there is a uh, House Resolution um, Bill 40, um, a commission to develop a commission to study and develop reparations proposals for African Americans Act, and right now um, uh, Baba Jahara uh, Akebulan Maat. Um, he says that um, that we are up to 142 congressional endorsers. However, we have some folks that are are saying no, and and so he sent out um, a query to us in an email to um, to let us know um, what's happening. And he says, I'm going to read what he wrote. He says um, that right now. Um, we have the most signatures um, since this this um, act was introduced um, for this uh, reparations legislation in, in 1989. So he says, so eight more are needed across the United States to get us to full hearings this year for the first time ever. Therefore, we are targeting the following California representatives who have not yet endorsed. And he says, uh, will you answer the call to our ancestors, long-suffering political prisoners and freedom fighters who have given their lives in our generational struggles for truth, justice, and self-determination uh, for reparations? He says, please take time to make a call to at least two of the representatives listed below, and I'll read you their names, and pass this on to any of your relatives, friends, or coworkers who live or work in one or more of these districts, the general congressional switchboard number on Capitol Hill in Washington, D.C. is area code 202-224-3121, area code 202-224-3121. And, and then he sort of lays out some things that you can state, like your name, city and state, and he says, in a respectful manner, ask for and write down the names of the receptionist or person who answers the phone, ask to speak to the congression, congressperson, chief of staff, or legislative director. And four, if the receptionist says they are unavailable, ask to leave a voicemail. And five, if they are unable to connect you or refuse to do so, tell the person that you would like the con- congressperson to join vice presidential candidate Senator Kamala, oh, actually, yeah, Kamala Harris, Senator Dianne Feinstein, and 142 of their congressional colleagues, the U.S. Conference of Mayors and numerous state legislators, organizers, and institutions in support of H.R. 40, 
the reparations remedy bill in the House of Representatives. Six, write down their reaction. And seven, please share your notes of the call or questions with Baba Jahara at either support at AfricansDeserveReparations.com. Support at AfricansDeserve, that's Africans with an S, DeserveReparations.com. And reparations is spelled R-E-P-A-R-A-T-I-O-N-S. And, and then his email is New African uh, with a K and New with a N-U, New African 777 at yahoo.com. And his phone number <laughs> is 510-423-8576. 510-423-8576. And those folks that are saying no right at the moment in California are Gilbert Ray Cisneros, T.J. Cox, Jimmy Panetta, Harley Rauda, R-O-U-D-A, or Rhoda, Raul Ruiz, hmm, I know where he is, Mike Thompson, Katie Porter, Scott Peters, Susan Davis, Adam Schiff, S-C-H-I-F-F, Ami Burra, B-E-R-A, and Norma Torres. So those are the folks that are saying no, that we need to get on the other side of the issue. We need them to say yes, because what we're asking for is a commission to study and develop reparations proposals for African Americans Act. All righty, so, um, so that is that. And I think I'm going to go out with uh, something by um, um, Hachalu. And I'm not sure what I played um, when um, when I we we spoke in July to to my other folks. So I am going to play um, uh, one of them. <laughs> I'm going to play Zira. Uh, Allah, the up, go to Allah, the up, go to 
Let's go, let's go. 